with the vaccine, you're shooting me before I even have a gun. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back, my friends, to the Lions of Liberty podcast. I don't know about you guys, I'm ready to talk a little liberty in this here episode number 104. And before we get into the show today, I have to take a second to tell you guys about our sponsors at Health Excellence Select. If you're like me and you had just had it with your government-mandated health insurance, you need to look into the concept of health sharing and the fantastic healthcare package from our friends at Health Excellence Select. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com health. My guest today is the author of numerous scholarly articles and books, including Defending the Undefendable, Parts 1 and 2, and The Privatization of Roads and Highways. He is currently a professor and chair of economics at Loyola University in New Orleans. It is my pleasure to bring him back for his second appearance on the show today. Walter Block, welcome back into the Lions of Liberty podcast. Uh, thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always a pleasure to read your stuff, Walter, because, you know, you are always sort of, uh, you don't shy away from controversy, you might say. In fact, you seem to revel in tackling the difficult subjects, and you tend to stir up the debate in the libertarian community quite often. And, and frankly, I, I think we need as much of that as possible, especially when it comes to a lot of the serious issues that we're talking about here. And uh, why don't we start off with uh, what I think many saw as a controversial position of you coming out and expressing your support for Rand Paul recently on your Facebook page. And, you know, I know many libertarians were surprised by this as they don't see Rand Paul as anything close to a quote-unquote true libertarian. I know many are very critical of him in the libertarian movement, such as Robert Wenzel, as of late, Justin Raimondo, and they've been particularly critical of him. Meanwhile, many in the movement view yourself as sort of the the new Mr. Libertarian, the, the purest of the pure. So why don't you tell everybody out there just why you decided to come out in such strong support of Rand Paul? Well, let me, I'm a professor. I'm never supposed to answer questions directly. Let me prevaricate <laughs> and elude you. Of course. And, and say that I supported my man, and I emphasize that, that phrase, my man Barack Obama in 2008 against John McCain. Now, you might uh, query uh, Rand Paul's uh, libertarian credentials, but Barack Obama's got none. <laughs> so if I could support Barack Obama, uh, I can certainly support Rand Paul. Everyone will admit at least Rand Paul's more libertarian than um, Barack Obama. I think you'll get consensus on that one. Okay. Sure. See how non-controversial I can be? <laughs> okay. So why did I support Barack Obama? I supported him because I thought John McCain was going to drop a nuclear weapon on somebody. And I'm sort of opposed to uh, uh, dropping nuclear weapons on people because of the, uh, the bad effects of it can't be confined to um, uh, guilty people. And it's just a, a very bad thing to drop nuclear weapons on people. And there's only one group that ever did that, and that's uh, the U.S. government. And I didn't want to have a repeat of that. Okay, so... Is Barack Obama, you know, free market? Come on, give me a break. Is he uh, good on uh, just about anything else? No, but he's, I sensed in him less of a warmonger than McCain, and I supported him. So if I can support Barack Obama, uh, who's not a libertarian at all, I can certainly support Rand Paul, who is, you know, a semi-demi, quasi, uh, somewhat libertarian. 
Uh, so my defense of uh, Rand Paul against those who say, well, he's not much of a libertarian is we don't have to be much of a libertarian at all for me to support you. And uh, I hate to argue from authority, but the real Mr. Libertarian, of course, is Murray Rothbard. And Murray was a political hound. He was always, you know, when the, the New York City mayoral election was going on, he would support this guy or that guy, New York State governor or any governor or anything. I mean, he supported, I think it was LBJ against uh, Goldwater for similar reasons that I picked uh, Barack Obama over John McCain. So, you know, what's wrong with picking the lesser of two evils? Uh, the example I often like to use is, okay, we're both slaves and uh, the master uh, allows us to vote for overseers. And there are two overseers that we can have an election between. One is called Overseer Goody and one is Overseer Batty. And Overseer Batty will beat the crap out of us every hour. And Overseer Goody will only beat the crap out of us equally uh, uh, vicious beating once a month. And guess what? We all vote for Overseer Goody. Does that mean that we think Overseer Goody is a libertarian? No. Does that mean that we support slavery? No. It just means we don't want to have the crap beaten out of us every uh, hour. We'd rather have it every month. So uh, I don't see anything wrong with uh, picking the lesser of two evils, Goody over Batty, Obama over McCain, and Rand Paul over, I don't know who, Hillary or Jeb Bush or uh, Cruz or any of these other people uh, uh, right now. Not that I'm I'm saying Rand is that bad. I think Rand is pretty good. He's not an excellent libertarian, but he's pretty good. And I agree with Ramondo and Wenzel uh, who say, well, Rand is weak on this. He's weak on that. Yes, I think uh, uh, Wenzel and, and Ramondo have their finger on the pulse of libertarianism. They're accurate libertarians. And they have shown over and over again that uh, Rand deviates from uh, Rothbardianism in many, many ways. But still, uh, he's the most libertarian senator in the Senate uh, right now. He might be the most libertarian senator ever, although I'm not sure. I'm not historian enough to know that. He's certainly way more libertarian than any other Republican candidate, and he's way more libertarian than Hillary, and yet Wenzel said he'd vote for Hillary over Rand. But he actually said that? Yes. Okay, well, that's crazy. <laughs> I find that highly problematic. You see, I'm much more uh, moderate than you are. You're calling him crazy. <laughs> I'm just saying I find it very problematic. Now, I think it's a matter of peak or, you know, the, that Bob Wenzel, who's a friend of mine and who I admire, and the same with Justin Raimondo, are just so unhappy that Rand is no Ron. And yes, Rand is no Ron. Ron is magnificent. Rand is, you know, pretty darn good uh, and by far the best of any option we have. So I make no apologies as a libertarian for supporting Rand Paul. I, I support him uh, verbally now and in writing and I sent him money and, and I uh, urge every other libertarian to uh, support Rand Paul. I stand with Rand. What about the concern that many might have? In, in the sense that, well, yeah, you can come out and support Barack Obama as opposed to John McCain, and that's okay because no one's going to confuse Barack Obama with a libertarian or with someone representing libertarian beliefs, whereas many will point to Rand and say, you know, even if he doesn't necessarily call himself a libertarian, I believe he called it an albatross around his neck, and he, he rejects that label outright. At the same time, he calls himself a libertarian Republican. He says the Republican Party needs to be more libertarian. And if you Google Rand Paul libertarian, you get, you know, thousands of articles associating his name with libertarian. So what do you think about that concern that if Rand Paul is sort of out they're running and associated with libertarianism that some of his positions that might be troubling to some, such as perhaps his support for sanctions on Iran, for example, might be associated with libertarianism. So what would you say to the people that have that concern? Well, uh, I'd say, nah, 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 nah. no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say that first. 
Okay. Uh, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> no, I, 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 to be more serious, we have to have a little levity in here. I oh, mean, please. Our show's all about levity and a little bit of seriousness. A little bit. Oh, well, I, <laughs> okay. Uh, I would say several things. First, this is a danger. I admit it. I acknowledge it. This is a danger. On the other hand, and there is another hand, there are several other hands. First of all, there are other groups who... You see, Rand never says he's a libertarian. He never comes out and says, I'm a libertarian. As you said, he says, oh, I'm a Republican libertarian or a constitutionalist libertarian or a libertarian conservative or something like that. He never said, I'm a libertarian. He never said, I'm a pure libertarian. And yet there is a danger because he used the dreaded L word. And uh, people might say, well, you know, if this is libertarianism, I want no part of it because I'm a pure libertarian, even though they, they don't know us yet. So that is a danger. I admit it. But now let me talk about a few other hands. One other hand is that the dreaded L word, libertarian, is now used because of Rand Paul. I mean, the New York Times, you read the New York Times and they use the word libertarian. Uh, you read uh, or listen to, uh, I don't know, the uh, Washington Post or uh, LA Times or whatever it is, and NBC, CBS, namely the mainstream media now uses the word libertarian over and over and over again. Isn't that good? People will now go to um, Google or somewhere else um, and they'll look under libertarianism and yes, they'll find Rand, but they'll also find Ron Paul, who is uh, magnificent. They'll find um, uh, Murray Rothbard. They'll find uh, Ludwig von Mises. They'll find Henry Hazlitt. Maybe even Walter Block. Maybe even the Lions of Liberty. Who knows? Yes, yes. <laughs> they'll find us too. Uh, we're all, you know, as the gays say, we are everywhere. Well, we libertarians are everywhere too. And uh, so they'll find us as well. So that's a, a good point. On the other hand is Look, there are a lot of other people who claim to be libertarians and really aren't that good a libertarian, in my view. For example, uh, Cato or Reason, uh, who compromise all over the lot. And yet on net balance, I'm a fan of Cato and Reason. I think that they do good jobs and uh, they do promote liberty, but they do it in a, uh, uh, how shall I say it, in a compromising way that they're not really pure. And so if we're opposed to Rand Paul, uh, I'm trying to make a reductio ad absurdum here. We have to oppose a lot of other institutions that are doing good. Rand Paul isn't the only imperfect libertarian. There are a lot of other semi-demi, quasi-libertarians, uh, and the groups that I just mentioned, Reason and Cato, would certainly fit in there. So I think that this is strategy. This is not deontology. This is not uh, a pure libertarianism. The question is, will Rand's compromise with libertarianism help or hurt libertarianism? And I say uh, it'll help. Uh, It'll hurt to some degree, but it'll help to a more overwhelming degree because the word libertarianism is mentioned. And whenever Rand Paul is mentioned, usually in the article in the New York Times, they'll mention Ron Paul. And then people will say, well, let me look up Ron Paul. And now they're going to get really uh, very, very uh, close to pure libertarianism. So I think on net balance, my answer, apart from na 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 is uh, this is uh, uh, strategy and tactics. And, and my belief is that uh, Rand Paul is uh, way on the side of uh, pro-liberty. So you essentially concede that it's possible some people might confuse some of his non-libertarian positions with libertarianism. However, you just see that it's more of a net benefit just getting the word out there so much in publications like the New York Times. Even if they're busy smearing libertarianism, smearing you, they're at least getting it out there in, in, in a way that it was never even out there 10, 15 years ago. So the fact that we'll get so many people kind of Googling these ideas and just exposing them to it in general will basically outweigh the any kind of confusion over Rand's specific policies. I, I, is that your your general viewpoint? 
Yes, I think that's a very good, succinct uh, summary. Uh, I would just add that uh, Cato and Reason call themselves Libertarian or PERC, Political Economy Research Center out in Montana is another group. They specifically call themselves Libertarian and they compromise all over the lot, roughly as much as Rand Paul, I would say, although it's hard to quantify that. Yes, I I, uh, I would agree uh, that it vastly outweighs it. And by the way, God bless the New York Times, they spell libertarianism correctly. Uh, they don't call it librarianism. They don't call it libertinism, uh, uh, which in the past, when I first got into the movement in the 1960s, they never used the word, or if they did, it would be libertunianism or something like that. They spell the word correctly. They're promoting liberty indirectly because they're mentioning it. And I think we owe that to uh, Rand Paul. Look, Ron Paul is not in the public eye anymore because he's not running for president. He's not a congressman. He's still doing magnificent work. But Rand Paul is now putting Ron Paul back into the public eye. God bless Rand Paul for putting his dad back in the public eye. Great. So you mentioned in your support for Barack Obama back in 2008 over John McCain as foreign policy being your greatest concern. And uh, I I share that concern as well. Of the two choices we had at that time, I certainly also favored Obama for the same reason. Essentially, I I, I pictured John McCain just bombing the world as soon as he got into office. So I'm I'm curious what you know about Rand Paul and and the positions he stated on foreign policy. How do you picture a Rand Paul presidency in terms of foreign policy and, and perhaps as opposed to even Barack Obama's now? Well, right now, the U.S. government has about a 1,000 military bases in about 160 different countries. Ron Paul said that uh, the day after he becomes president or the minute after he becomes president, he's going to withdraw all the soldiers from all the military bases, and that'll be it. Would Rand do that? No. But Rand is way better. In, uh, uh, there was a debate in, I think it was New Hampshire, where Rand said, look, you uh, – uh, I'm putting words in Iran's mouth, but uh, look, you warmongering fellow uh, Republicans, you know, you never met a war you didn't like. And uh, yes, we have to have soldiers uh, get I- ISIS and we have to maybe help Israel or whatever it is, but we don't have to do as much as you crazy people uh, want to do. Now, again, I- I'm I'm just uh, paraphrasing. I'm giving the gist. I'm putting it through my prism, P-R-I-S-M. Rand Paul uh, didn't say those exact words. But what I got out of what he did say was that, look, uh, I'm a moderate on this. Yes, the the U.S. uh, soldiers should not be just defensive. We should be offensive as well, but in a limited way. So a president, Rand Paul, would not pull out all the soldiers, would not pull out all the uh, uh, foreign military bases, but he'd pull out some. He'd be out of Guantanamo, something that uh, my man Barack uh, didn't do after six and a half years. So he would be better. He would be way better. And yes, I agree that... Uh, foreign policy is very important. My friend Robert Higgs, H-I-G-G-S, makes the point, and Murray Rothbard as well, that foreign policy is very, very important because uh, foreign policy leads to domestic policy. Uh, uh, because we're in uh, foreign wars, you know, that we have all sorts of price controls and all sorts of other interferences. And uh, Bob Higgs talks about the ratchet effect. You know, whenever we have a war, the government increases. And then when the war stops, they don't decrease. They just sort of keep at the upper uh, new level. And then the next war ratchets it up even more. So yes, foreign policy is very important. And look, uh, uh, McCain wasn't that great on economics either. Okay, maybe uh, he would have had better advisors than, uh, what's his name, Barack Obama. But it isn't as if John McCain was uh, Henry Hazlitt on economics. 
uh, he he was, uh, you know, a moderate Republican on economics and on personal liberties. He wasn't going to uh, end the drug war or end the laws against prostitution or other victimless crimes. So even on uh, economics and personal liberties, uh, okay, I give the nod to McCain by a little bit, but on, on foreign policy, I give the nod to Barack Obama by a big, big margin, uh, hence my support for Barack. Let's leave old Rand alone for a minute. I, th- I think we've analyzed him quite enough. But I want to move on to another subject, and you wrote this about this a couple of years ago, but I only first came upon this article recently, especially with the whole hoopla in the media over vaccines uh, this year after the outbreak in Disneyland. So I want to address this subject of forced vaccinations, and you wrote an article back in 2013, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it does sort of seem that you're, you sort of craft a, a possible libertarian justification for mandatory or forced vaccinations and, and how you see that applying within the context of libertarian theory. But I'll let you explain exactly what you meant by that article, so I'm not putting words in your mouth there. So what did you actually mean by this forced vaccination article that you wrote? I, uh, I enjoy you putting words in my mouth because you put very accurate words in my mouth, unlike some people. Uh, so I, I congratulate you for that. So I'm a step above the New York Times then. Uh, well, uh, t- to get back to the vaccinations, what I'm, uh, I'm not saying that all forced vaccinations are justified. What I'm saying is that in principle, I can think of a scenario where it would be justified. Now, whether the uh, criteria are met in this case, I doubt because, you know, the uh, it's unclear whether uh, the vaccination will have uh, deleterious effects. And I'm not scientist enough or doctor enough to know, but I'm just making an, uh, an in principle case that it could be done. And my exhibit A is typhoid Mary. So who was typhoid Mary? She was a lady who had typhoid and she was working in some sort of a restaurant or something. Uh, now, she lacked mens rea. She had no guilty conscience. She wasn't trying to kill people, but she was killing people uh, by giving them typhoid. Would we have been justified in going to Typhoid Mary and say, look, uh, Typhoid Mary, uh, you know, we're not putting you in jail, but we're going to put you in a nice hotel room and we're going to give you room service and there'll be a color TV and air conditioning or whatever. And you have to stay there until you don't have typhoid because if you get out on the street and start exhaling or whatever, other people will get typhoid. And I would justify this on the libertarian ground that a person with typhoid who, say, is exhaling it onto other people, and again, I'm not medical man enough to know if this is true, but let's suppose it is true. Uh, If you have a communicable disease like this, in effect, what you're doing is shooting people. Only you're not shooting them with bullets. You're shooting with typhoid uh, bugs or uh, typhoid, uh, I guess bugs would be uh, probably not the correct word, but I'll use it anyway. Uh, So uh, in effect, what she is is an innocent murderer or murderess, whatever you'd call it. And I think uh, well within the bowels of uh, libertarianism, is the justification of using violence against her if need be. Now, you don't use violence first off. You say, look, Mary, uh, be reasonable. Come to this hotel with us and you know we'll put you in there. But um, she is uh, uh, using a violence. We are not, in effect, violence by uh, trespassing bugs on us. And uh, we libertarians are not pacifists. Well, we think that violence is sometimes justified. And when it's justified, only in self-defense or other defense. And we are now defending ourselves against typhoid Mary. Now, if instead of uh, quarantining her, uh, there was a vaccine that would uh, guarantee uh, no more typhoid and had no negative other effects, side effects, uh, would we be justified in jabbing a needle into her butt or her arm or wherever you jab needles into people? And, uh, and saying, you know, we are now going to vaccinate you so that you won't have uh, typhoid. 
Well, I think so. On the grounds of self-defense. Now, one of the essences of libertarianism is self-defense. So I, I think where I disagree with some of the other libertarian writers uh, is they weren't really talking about this in principle. I'm talking about it in principle. What they were saying is, look, right now uh, we have this uh, mumps or measles or whatever it is. Uh, mumps and measles is hardly uh, that communicable. And there are side effects of the uh, vaccination. And I don't touch that. I don't touch that with a 10-foot pole because I regard that as a, uh, what's the word, a, a gray area or a continuum. Uh, let me explain what I mean by a continuum or a gray area. We know that if you go to bed with a, a four-year-old girl, even if she agrees, you're a statutory rapist because we don't think that four-year-old girls have enough um, whatever uh, to agree to sexual intercourse. On the other hand, if you go to bed with a 24-year-old girl or woman, uh, we agree that 24-year-old women are uh, sensible enough and mature enough uh, so that if they agree, you're not a statutory rapist. Well, what about a 14-year-old girl? Well, we don't know. Uh, how about 13? How about 15, 16, 12, whatever? It's a gray area. There is no libertarian view that says, well, the right age is 14 years and six months. It's not like that. Uh, it's a continuum. So I say it's also a, a continuum. For example, how far does my fist have to be from your nose before you can take a, a physical uh, defensive action? Well, it depends on the context. You have to sort of get a, a reasonable man involved in this or something like that. Now, getting back to the vaccine, I say, uh, or the quarantine, I say it's a gray area. You don't know. There's no libertarian theory that says, well, you know, uh, the measles, yes, and the mumps, no, or whatever. So I don't get into that issue. Uh, I'm not saying that, yes, it's justified to use it right now. But I'm, all I'm saying is that in principle, we can come up uh, with a scenario that it would be justified. So therefore, there's nothing in libertarian principle that prevents us from using physical force to either vaccinate or quarantine people. And I regard vaccination and quarantine as roughly the same thing. Uh, it might be different medically, but in terms of libertarianism, you're using violence to prevent somebody from trespassing onto other people, murderous or uh, sick-causing germs or bugs or whatever it is. See, I don't see them as the same thing, because for me, in the Typhoid Mary example, we're talking about someone who we've determined is definitely has a disease, is spreading the disease, is harming other people. We know that as a fact in that case, and I could certainly see a quarantine being justified in that case if she refuses to you know, quarantine herself, essentially, if she just decides, well, no, I'm just going to go around infecting people anyway. In that case, I can see a quarantine, but when we're talking about vaccines, a vaccine is something, a preemptive measure. It's something that is given to healthy individuals so that they do not contract a disease in the future. So how would you apply that same theory as Typhoid Mary, who is someone we already know has a disease, to a completely healthy person who others might just be worried could potentially get a disease? Well, uh, to me, uh, it's the same thing. It's just a matter of timing. Uh, the quarantine with Typhoid Mary, she's got it now. Whereas, uh, let's say me, I uh, uh, don't want to be vaccinated, but let's say I will get it tomorrow. Or I'll get it in one minute. Uh, again, it's a continuum problem. It's not a, a, a difference in um, kind. It's rather a difference in degree between a, a quarantine and a vaccine. It's just a matter of time. And again, I'm not saying that any particular vaccine is justified. I'm saying in principle, we can think of a scenario where we know I'm going to get the disease in one second from now, and uh, then I'll be uh, a menace uh, to other people's health and safety and life. And uh, you can jab something into my buttocks right now, and then I won't do that. I think it's justified on self-defense grounds. Look, suppose you uh, came up to me with a gun, pointed the gun at me and said, give me your money or I'll shoot you. And I shot you. 
first, or, or rather, sure, I, I... Sure, but with the vaccine, you're shooting me before I even have a gun. You're just assuming I'll get one and point it at you. I'm That's s- kind of no, the, the equivalent of the disease. No, I'm not assuming. I'm stipulating. I'm, I'm saying, uh, work with me here. I'm saying, uh, stipulate that you will come up to me with a gun. Uh, right now, you've got a gun in your pocket, and you're reaching, you know, in the old westerns, you didn't have to have the gun out pointed at people. Uh, as, as soon as you start moving your hand towards your uh, holster or whatever it is, I can shoot you. Sure, I agree with that. Absolutely. Well, then I think we're agreed. Uh, you don't have to actually have the 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 bullet doesn't have to be moving in my direction. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is an attack that uh, our friends on on the right make against libertarians. They say, well. You uh, libertarians don't agree in uh, going over to Iraq or Iran and uh, Afghanistan. Uh, let's fight them over there before they come here. Uh, I see my view is they have to at least, you know, be moving in our direction. Uh, uh, you know, a theoretical uh, thing doesn't work. And again, this is a continuum. How f- close does your hand have to be to the holster uh, before I can shoot you uh, if, if I see you coming at me with bad intentions, let's say you're my enemy or something. Uh, well, it's the same thing with the, the vaccine. Uh, how soon uh, does the disease have to hit me before you can force me to have a vaccine? Well, it's a continuum. We don't know exactly. But the point is, I don't already have to have the disease. Just uh, And, and it, it doesn't have to be a potential like, well, in 10 years, I might get it. And now we can justify a vaccine. But I'm stipulating that in one minute, I will get it. And I don't think you have to wait until I get it. I think you can vaccinate me uh, before I get it if we accept this stipulation that I'm making. Walter, this is a lot of food for thought here, and we'll wrap up our vaccine conversation in just a minute. But I need to take a second to tell everyone about our awesome sponsors, Health Excellence Select. And no, don't worry. They won't force anyone to get vaccines. Believe me, guys, I know nobody likes dealing with health insurance companies. It's bad enough that you're sick, but now, thanks to the ACA, you're forced to pay for all sorts of coverage you don't even want or need, and the odds are you are indeed paying for it. I was frustrated, too, until I did some research and found out about health sharing, where like-minded, health-conscious individuals get together to cover each other's medical costs. And now the fine folks at Health Excellence Select have taken it to another level with a complete healthcare service Combining health sharing with personal care assistance to help you find the doctors that you need at the best price, 24-7 phone access to physicians, along with discounts on dental and vision. And if that wasn't enough, they even have a website that works, if you can believe that. Guys, if you are struggling with a solution to your health care needs, look no further than Health Excellence Select. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health. Are you seeing this only applying in sort of a private property society kind of manner? I mean, obviously, I don't think you support the federal government running around busting into houses and vaccinating people. I think we we both know you don't agree with that. But I'm just trying to envision how this could even be justified, even in that private property context. I, I suppose we could have communities where people agree to X amount of vaccinations and that kind of thing. But when you actually preemptively force someone to inject something, I mean, do, do you think that the onus is at least on the vaccinator to prove that, that yes, if I don't vaccinate this person, he will then go ahead and spread the disease and, and cause death and destruction? I mean, where is that line crossed where someone can actually determine, you know, 
from a legal justification viewpoint that someone will in fact get a disease if they do not take this vaccine and will in fact harm others if they do so, if they do not do so, I should say. Right. Well, I, I think uh, you're uh, perfectly right in the way you put it. Uh, let me change the subject slightly and then I'll get back to it. Let's take the death penalty. I believe that there's a justification of the death penalty. Does that mean I think that the government should do it? God forbid. I mean, the government... The, the government can't even deliver the mail. The government is just an inept, uh, evil institution. So just because I favor the death penalty doesn't mean I want the government to do it because the government is always executing people who are innocent and uh, uh, they have these innocence projects where the government is executing all sorts of innocent people. So I wouldn't want the government to do it. Okay, so now let's say we have a laissez-faire, free market, uh, uh, whatever, uh, anarcho-capitalist society. I think that somebody, not the government, God forbid, as an anarchist, I don't want the government to do anything. I want the government to disappear. But now we have a uh, free market society. And I think uh, one way to solve that is, uh, you know, we have these uh, restrictive covenants. You can't come in here unless you're inoculated. Fine. But suppose, suppose this is airborne. Suppose that by exhaling, you can give me, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, some bad disease, cancer or whatever it is. Do I have the right to go to you against your will with a, let's say, a, a protective gear and forcibly uh, inject some vaccine into you or forcibly quarantine you. And I don't see any real difference in principle between a vaccine and a quarantine. And you've already agreed with me on quarantine. So I'm puzzled as to why I can't get you to come along with me on the vaccine as well, because the only difference between a vaccine and a, a quarantine, the, in both cases, you're using violence against people. Uh, but it's just a matter of timing. In the case of the vaccine, uh, we stipulate you're going to get this horrible disease and then you're going to exhale and, and kill me. Well, I have a right to uh, stop you before you uh, get there. I guess the real difference for me is it's very difficult for me to imagine a, a world where you can stipulate that someone is going to get a disease and is going to go on to harm people after acquiring that disease. Whereas in this, in the quarantine situation, there's no gray area to me. There's no question. If we, if we actually do know that that human being typhoid Mary in your example has the disease, well then, you know, it's, it is obvious that this person is, is can harm people by carrying it around. Whereas opposed to a vaccine, we're really just kind of speculating that someone will get a disease and then proceed to harm people. But maybe the scenario you're picturing is one where we know this disease is out there. We know people are carrying it and, and that kind of thing. Is, are you kind of picturing just really a, a scenario where there aren't gray areas, where the, the facts are so clear that, you know, it makes sense for property owners to, to take steps to protect themselves? Yes, uh, that's precisely. Uh, you you put this stuff better than I do. You're, you're doing very well. <laughs> yes, that's exactly my scenario. Remember, I'm talking about in principle. I'm not talking about the actual case right now. I'm just saying we can concoct a scenario, a coherent scenario, where it would be justified to get somebody before they actually start doing harm. Look, uh, when your finger starts getting closer to your uh, gun belt uh, in the old westerns, uh, you know, I can shoot you. Uh, we don't have to wait until the, the archer, until the arrow is uh, aimed in our direction before we can shoot the archer who is about, you know, ready to let loose with an arrow against us. We can uh, uh, shoot him uh, as soon as he uh, puts the arrow in the uh, bow and, and uh, looks in our direction. Uh, we don't have to wait until the very last minute. Uh, if you come at me running with a knife screaming, I'm going to kill you, we don't have to wait until the knife uh, penetrates me. Uh, I can shoot you 10 feet away. I can shoot you uh, a half a mile away if I know uh, for sure that, that that's what's, what's going to happen. And it takes you, I don't know, two minutes to run a half mile. That, that's about the world's record. Well, uh, it's a little bit better than that, but I don't have to wait until the knife actually uh, 
uh, penetrates my body before I can take defensive action. And uh, uh, the same thing with vaccination. Uh, so I, I think uh, I'm hoping that I can win you over to my case uh, if you understand it accurately. And I think you do understand uh, me very well. Well, Walter, I'm glad you are unafraid to tackle these subjects and to put these positions out there. Obviously, this is stuff that a lot of libertarians are always debating and discussing. So uh, you are someone that is always pushing these debates forward, and I do appreciate that. And I, I hope uh, – well, I don't need to hope. I know you're going to keep it up. Um, in the meantime, do you have any anything else you want to plug? Uh, I know you've recently released a second chapter, I guess you could say, of your Defending the Undefendable books. So if you want to plug that or let anyone know how they can get in touch with you before we sign off, that would be great. Well, it's not really a second chapter. It's a, a second book. It's sort of part right. two, Defending the Undefendable. Uh, what they both have in common is I'm defending people who do not initiate violence, who are victimless criminals or hated and reviled. And in the first uh, book, I had like 30 uh, characters like that, like the blackmailer or the pimp or the prostitute. And now in the second book, I have another 30 people. In the, in the first one, Hayek was kind enough to write a, a forward. And in the second one, Ron Paul, not Rand Paul. Ron Paul was kind enough to write a very positive forward to the book. Uh, if you want to get the book, I don't know, I guess Amazon or WalterBlock.com to, to get my other writings. Or you can find it at the show notes page for this very show, lionsofliberty.com slash 104. This will be episode number 104. So you can find it at our site as well. Walter Block, thank you once again for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it and keep up the great work. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. You got it. Thanks a lot, Walter. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, folks, I hope you did enjoy my talk there with Professor Walter Block. Always a pleasure to speak with him. And, you know, you gotta say this about Professor Block. He always gives you something to think about, and he always tries to take a scenario and break it down to the principles, to the core of what could be permissible in a libertarian society. And I'm glad Professor Block is out there doing that in so many ways with his writing, with his books, with his podcast appearances, and that sort of thing. Uh, on the subject of Rand Paul, I mean, I feel like we talk about this guy more than just anybody else around any other politician, and it's understandable. He's the son of the guy who basically started the modern liberty movement. So it makes sense that we'll be looking at this guy who's running for president who is still, despite some of his positions that don't quite jive with what many would call, quote-unquote, pure libertarianism. As Professor Block said, he is clearly the most libertarian senator out there, or the closest we have. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can spend all our lives promoting principles as we should, and as we absolutely should. I don't want to chuck that to the side or even suggest such a thing. But there are principles we can promote and principles we can strive for. At the end of the day, though, there is a political cycle in the United States. There is certain realities about who is going to be in positions of power and not. So it does make sense at some point to analyze those possibilities and give a look at what's the best one. And I, I tend to agree with Walter Block that despite Rand's problems, despite some of the issues I disagree with him on, such as his stance on sanctions, his support for sanctions against Iran, to me, sanctions are an act of war. They are essentially an assault on, on the ability of people in a faraway land to engage in trade with people over here. And uh, I have a problem with that, but you know, at the end of the day, he is much less belligerent when it comes to foreign policy. He's not like John McCain looking to bomb everybody. He's not like Barack Obama. He has a, he expresses a much more restrained foreign policy than he does as well. So, you know, we can analyze and should analyze Rand's statements and positions all day. You know, we do that here each and every Tuesday. Our own Brian McWilliams analyzes Rand in his weekly Rand Paul Lusses and Minuses column. You can find that whole archive at LionsOfLiberty.com/slash Rand as well 
well as our monthly podcast edition of that article, our Rand Paulus and Minuses podcast. So we spend more time, more than ample time, analyzing Rand Paul for the reason stated, because he is the, the political figure most associated with libertarianism. So for good or for bad, it does give us an opportunity to discuss a lot of these issues, a lot of important issues. And, you know, he's, he's great on a lot of things. He's ardently speaks out against the war on drugs, against mandatory minimums, against a lot of things there's already a lot of political momentum for, and maybe that's the one of the reasons he can be more bold in speaking out on those issues, but we are making progress. He is a leader in making progress on rolling back drug laws, amongst other things. So, now I think Rand should be commended in many ways, probably in more ways than he's criticized, but because we're libertarians and because we're always looking into this stuff, he does end up being criticized quite a bit. Now, as far as this forced vaccination things, I do get in principle what Professor Block is saying. He's essentially saying, if we know this person will become a threat if they are not vaccinated, there is a scenario where you could justify forcing them to not become a threat, to prevent the threat and act in self-defense. And I know he's not applying that to today's scenario, as as he said a few times, but imagining that scenario, uh, it's hard for me to compare it to a knife coming to your chest, to a gun and a bullet being pointed at you. To me, it's very hard to see a vaccine in that light. And and maybe there is a scenario where you know for a fact that this person will get this disease and harm other people if they are not inoculated. But to me, it's a preemptive act. It's a violation of the non-aggression principle to forcibly inoculate someone in general. But I certainly appreciate Professor Block and his desire to always try to break these issues down, even if we might not agree with his conclusions. Uh, I'm still not quite there on the vaccine thing, because I do see that as different than a quarantine, much different than a quarantine. A quarantine being a scenario where a person is a threat and has been determined to be a threat, whereas to me, the vaccine thing is still just sort of preemptively wondering about what might happen in the future. I mean, it almost makes me think of of the Saddam Hussein Iraq invasion. The, well, we know he might hurt us, so we got to go get him now, and obviously I know Professor Block doesn't support anything along those lines, but it's it's the same kind of logic, and it just doesn't stick with me. So I want to know what you guys think. That's right. I want to know what you guys think. There are so many ways you can interact with us. You can find us on the social media, facebook.com slash Liberty on Twitter, at Liberty. Google Plus page. You can join our Facebook forum and interact with us a little more directly. Again, we'll link to that all in the show notes of this episode, episode number 104. That's lionsofliberty.com slash 104. Now, this coming Thursday in episode number 105, I will be interviewing a man named Justin Paperni. He spent about 18 months in federal prison for violating securities laws, for committing fraud, essentially, as a part of a Ponzi scheme. Um, but since that time, he has been a free man, and he has really been spending his time helping prisoners really cope with returning to society, helping people enter prison and and be prepared for that. And uh, he's really become a a great man and someone that I'm really excited to talk to, and that is uh, Mr. Justin Paperni. So I'll be speaking with him this coming Thursday. Until then, folks, live long and live free. Editing and Mastering is John Dahlberg.